Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Good evening. How are we? Pretty good. All right. Fantastic. Uh, let's go Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'll be hanging out there uh, tonight. So when I was a freshman in high school, uh, I started a punk band called Hit and Run uh, because there's nothing more punk rock than naming your band after a highly illegal and insensitive activity. Uh, we were 14. Don't don't judge, judge us, but we had these, these kind of big dreams for this punk band, right? Um, that we were going to go tra- travel the world, and we were going to do all these amazing things and make a statement in, in, in culture. And I was really invested in this band. And one night, uh, my friend uh, Andrew, he sends me a message on AIM, uh, for those of you who remember AIM. And he sends me a message on AIM and says, hey, man, uh, we're kicking you out of the band. Yeah, my reaction too. And I, uh, I was like, whoa. Like, I mean, first off, like, I started the band. Like, you can't kick me out of the band that I started. Like, that's not even a thing, right? And so I messaged him back, and I was like, oh, I mean, like why? like, why? Like, why are you kicking me out of the band? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you're just not punk enough said, you're just not punk enough. He's like, you're not punk enough for the punk band. And so all of a sudden, as a freshman in high school, I'm having this existential crisis of like, how am I not punk enough for the punk band? Like, I don't even understand this, right? And the reality is, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that he was right. I I was way too mainstream to actually be effective in the punk rock scene, right? So like, for instance, in the summers, he and his friends would go to the skate park. I would be on the golf course. Uh, he bought his clothes at Hot Topic. I bought my clothes at The Gap, right? And so there's all these things that, like, when I really took a step back, I was like, all right, cool. maybe there's something to that. Um, but the reality was that he was right. Um, the punk rock scene is, I mean, it's countercultural. Right? It's about being countercultural. It's about questioning authority. It's about questioning the status quo. It's about sticking it to the man, right? And the reality is that I just was not willing to be countercultural the way that they needed to be countercultural to actually be an effective punk rock band. Now, here's why I tell you that. When we read the scriptures, to follow Jesus is to be incredibly countercultural. The call on our life is to be countercultural, right? Like the teachings of Jesus were countercultural. Like they got him killed, right? Like in John 15, Jesus says, man, if you follow me closely, if you follow me the way that I call you to follow me, the world's not going to be okay with it. The world's going to push back. The world's not going to like it, right? In, in Romans 12, Paul says um, this, this amazing challenge. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Like, don't be conformed to the world around you. Like, be countercultural, right? In 1 Peter, Peter repeatedly calls followers of Christ exiles or outsiders, He constantly reminds us that we don't belong to this world. We are outsiders. We don't belong here. To follow Jesus is to be countercultural. But the reality is that for a lot of us, we're not punk enough for the punk band. 
Meaning that oftentimes we, we talk a big game about following Christ and we want to follow Christ, but the reality is we're not living in ways that are truly countercultural. We're just not willing to actually do the things it takes to be countercultural. Now, I don't say that to shame anybody or judge anybody. I'm in that, that exact same boat. But I think there's a moment in time when we need to kind of take, take a step back as followers of Christ and say, okay, if to follow Christ is to be countercultural, what am I doing to actually live out a countercultural life? And if you feel like you're in a place where your life might not be that countercultural, I have good news. Tonight, you have an opportunity to start. Because to practice the Sabbath, to practice the Sabbath that we've been talking about for the last two weeks is absolutely countercultural in our current cultural climate. Right? To practice Sabbath is completely countercultural. And so, what I want to do tonight is I want us to look at, at why the Sabbath is so countercultural. And then, to be completely honest, like, I want to challenge us to implement Sabbath into our lives in a way that our lives look drastically different from the culture around us. There's this countercultural nature of how we live life based on how we Sabbath, or at least starting with how we Sabbath. And so what I want us to see tonight is that when we Sabbath, there are kind of two statements that are made, two countercultural statements that are made, one about our culture and one about who our God is. And so uh, my hope tonight is that we can actually be people that begin to um, step into these countercultural ways of doing Sabbath. So um, let me show you where we even get the idea that this is a countercultural thing. Um, Look with me at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5. Let's start in verse 12. It says this. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who who is within your gates, that your male servant and female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. All right, let me give you a little context of what's happening here. So um, the book of Deuteronomy is um, essentially Moses' kind of last speech. It's the last thing that he tells the people of Israel before they enter into the promised land. And so one of the things that he does in the book of Deuteronomy is he just kind of recaps or reiterates the law, right? These are, um, these are essentially the children of those who've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and he's reminding them of the law that was given to their parents and grand- grandparents to say, hey, this is the law. When you enter into the promised land, don't forget this. Right? And so he begins to recap the law, and he recaps the Ten Commandments. And here we see him recapping the Sabbath law from Exodus. But there's something really interesting about what he says in Deuteronomy. If you'd read the Exodus account, it's similar, but he, but he changes the why. He changes the why. So let me show you the, uh, the original Ten Commandment, uh, Sabbath command in Exodus 20. It says this. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, right? So far, same thing, right? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. So now he changes the why. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, so initially the why 
is rooted in the creation account that we talked about in week one of this series, right? The, the, the woven into the fabric of creation, God has kind of made the seventh day, the, the Sabbath day, something to refresh us and revive us, and he modeled it for us. And so since we are created in the image of God, we rest and we Sabbath because he also Sabbaths. And so the original command was, was kind of built to, to, to look at the seventh day and to look at the creation account. And so Moses changes the why in, De- in Deuteronomy. And if you caught it, in Deuteronomy 5, uh, verse 15, he's, he says this. He starts talking about slavery. He says, Sabbath, because you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, you might be thinking, all right, what's the change? It's the same command Moses is simply adding another layer of why the Sabbath is so important. And what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, I want you to remember that once upon a time you were slaves, but now you're not slaves anymore. So when you enter into the new land, please don't ever act like a slave ever again. Because you were slaves and now you're not. And when you Sabbath, you declare to the world around you that you're not a slave. And why I think this is so important for us is because, I mean, we live in a culture that is just exhausting. It's just exhausting. And when we say, when we Sabbath, we declare to the world around us, we make a countercultural statement to the world around us that we are not a slave to our culture. You see, in the book of Exodus, we have um, this this account of the people of Israel, and, and they are enslaved in the land of Egypt. And, and if you were to kind of describe the, the posture of the Egyptians, it's just a culture obsessed with more, right? More productivity, more progress, more profit, more, 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 more. And it's just this culture obsessed with more. In fact, in um, uh, Exodus 1, it has this, uh, this description of the culture there. It says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. In mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. I won't read Exodus uh, 5, but in Exodus 5, there's also this account that kind of explains where um, Pharaoh just loses his mind, and he takes away key building materials, but expects them to keep producing at the same rate, and they're just being beaten. There's just, I mean, it's just this brutal culture of more, 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 more. And when Moses is telling the children of the slaves, is he saying, hey, your parents were slaves, your grandparents were slaves. You once upon a time were a slave and God, because of his grace and his mercy, he drew you out. He freed you from slavery. So don't ever act like a slave because you don't have to be a slave. And when you Sabbath, you declare that you are not a slave. And for us, we aren't enslaved in Egypt. But we do live in a culture that is obsessed with more. We live in a culture that is obsessed with more and more and more and more, right? Like if you were here in week one, we, we shared all these statistics kind of about how our culture works, one of them being that 40% of employers view their employees who take their vacation days, who use their paid time off, they view them as less dedicated, less successful, and less productive. 
right? That we live in this culture that penalizes rest, that penalizes our ability to stop. And so we just kind of go and we go and we go and we go. And before we know it, we just become enslaved to the culture around us. And when we Sabbath, man, we make this countercultural punk rock statement that says, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to the culture around me. And so, that, so that's the first kind of statement that is made when we Sabbath. It's this countercultural statement to our culture that we are not slaves to the culture around us. We're not a slave to the culture of more. Now, it's not lost on me that, that maybe you hear that and you think, man, I've been tracking along. The idea of Sabbathing, the idea of like stopping and delighting in God's creation and communing with him and actually spending a whole day just stopping. Dude, that sounds so great in theory, but man, I just can't. To be completely honest, like, I can't. I'm just in a season of life where things are crazy, they're busy. There's no, like, logistical way that I could actually, like, stop and actually implement Sabbath. It might work for you, Pastor Boy, but it doesn't work for me, and my schedule is just crazy, and I just can't, right? If that's you, and I don't doubt for a second that your schedule is full. I don't doubt for a second that you're busy. I don't doubt for a second that maybe your life just feels hectic and chaotic. But if you feel like you can't, right, if you feel like you can't, then, man, I would love to lovingly challenge you with, with two, two things, if that's okay. The first is this. I think you might be a slave. Whether you realize it or not, you might call it work ethic, but my, my guess is that you might actually be enslaved to something, whether you realize it or not. And I would challenge you to actually take a step back and think, man, have, have I become enslaved? Right? Maybe you are enslaved uh, to work. Maybe you are enslaved to your boss's expectations. Maybe you are enslaved to the expectations of your friends or your own expectations for what you want to accomplish in life. Maybe you are enslaved to your grades. Maybe you are enslaved to uh, what your family thinks about you. Maybe you are enslaved to all these kind of cultural things around you. And the reality is, because of the Sabbath, we see that we don't have to be slaves. We don't have to be enslaved to the culture around us. You don't have to be a slave to your inbox. You don't have to be a slave to your phone. You don't have to be a slave to your textbook. You don't have to be a slave to all these things that we feel like just own our lives and keep us from actually stopping and delighting in God's creation and communing with him. We, we feel like we can't because maybe you've just become a slave, right? I love the way that... Um, Pastor John Mark Comer says this in his book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says this. He says, the Sabbath is like a guerrilla warfare tactic. If you want to break free from the oppressive yoke of Egypt's taskmaster and its restless, relentless lust for more, just take a day each week and stick it to the man. Drink deeply from the well of ordinary life. A meal with friends, time with family, a walk in the forest, afternoon tea, Above all, slow down long enough to enjoy life with God, who offers everything that materialism promises but can never deliver on, namely contentment. And I love that quote because he's right. We can stop. You can stop. The phrase, I can't stop, I, I don't think that's true. Maybe you won't stop. And so for us, I want to challenge you, if you feel like you just can't stop, take a step back and, and, and think about, man, have I become enslaved to something? Is it that I can't or that I won't? That I feel like I can't because I've just become so overwhelmed or overrun by the culture around me. 
So that's the first thing I want to challenge you with is that maybe you've become enslaved, and I'd, I'd love for you to kind of just challenge yourself to see if that's true. Two, I'm going to challenge you with this. Um, you, you might have more time than you actually think. And the problem is that you're actually just not utilizing your time well. Um, let me give you an illustration. There are um, 168 hours in a week. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that, but there's 168. That's 24 hours a day times seven days a week, right? Um, let's say, let's, now, I want to be generous. Let's say that you work a ton, right? Let's say that you work 60 hours a week. You work for 10 hours a day, six days a week. That's a lot of work, right? Um, let's say that you work six, 60 hours a week. Let's say, again, being generous, let's say that you sleep for eight hours a night which is laughable because I know that most of us sleep for like four or five, right? But let's say that you sleep for eight hours a night. That's 56 hours a night, right? Um, let's say then that you eat for three hours a day. So that's 21 hours of your week, right? Which again, laughable because most of us grab like a protein bar on the way to work or we drive through Starbucks and call it breakfast, right? And so um, that, again, generous, right? If you, like if that's your, like, your week, right? You have 60 hours of work, eight hours of sleep a night, uh, 21 hours of eating. Um, that actually leaves you with 31 unaccounted for hours. Like if you have like a schedule with no margin at all where you work for 10 hours a day, sleep for eight, eat for three, you still have 31 hours where you're not working, eating, or sleeping. That is plenty of time to have a Sabbath. That has plenty of time to carve out eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, however long you need to just stop and be before the Lord, to stop and delight and commune. You have 31 hours that aren't accounted for. And we have significantly more time than we actually think. The problem is that for a lot of us, we just don't use our time well. We waste time on things that don't actually bring rest. We waste time on escape as opposed to actually resting and actually Sabbathing, right? Um, a recent uh, Nielsen uh, report says that the average U.S. adult uh, watches TV for five hours and four minutes a day. Five hours and four minutes a day is what the average U.S. adult watches on TV. Um, on top of that, uh, Forbes just uh, said that Netflix did a poll, and out of all of the Netflix users, right, the average Netflix user watches a series, not a season, but watches a series in five days. If they're going to watch a series, they knock it out in five days. And 8 million of the Netflix users watch a series in less than 24 hours. Right? Apparently, we got a lot of time on our hands. Right? And so I tell you all that because the reality is that when, when we think about Sabbathing and why we can't, oftentimes it's not because we don't have enough time. It's because we don't utilize our time well and we waste time escaping instead of Sabbathing. And so if you're in the room and think, man, I just, I just can't. And I want to lovingly challenge you that maybe you can't or you feel like you can't because you've become enslaved to something. Or you just need to get better at managing your time. Right? Because when we Sabbath, we have this kind of countercultural statement that says, I'm not a slave to the culture around me. Now, there's another statement that's made when we Sabbath. Right? There, there's a statement that is made about our culture, but there's also a statement made about our God. Because when we Sabbath, what we say is that there is something about our God that is countercultural. There's something about our God that is countercultural, primarily that we serve a God who cares deeply about the rest and refreshment of his kids. That we serve a God who cares deeply about your joy and your pleasure 
and your ability to just exhale. Right? That's who our God is. In fact, we uh, see, see this in Exodus 31. One of the, the original kind of uh, ideas for Sabbath, God says this to Moses. He says, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God, God says, I'm creating Sabbath to be a sign to the world that when they look at you, when they look at the way that you live, when they look at the way that you rest, it is a sign to the world that you serve a God who cares deeply about your soul, a God who cares deeply about your rest, a God that cares deeply about your joy and satisfaction and your health. Right? That's a countercultural way to think about God because if you were to ask the average person on the street that, that doesn't know Jesus and, and say, hey, and what's kind of your conception of God? Kind of what's the idea of a God that comes to mind when you hear the name, name of God? Odds are you hear people use words like, uh, man, he's angry. He's judgmental. He is disappointed. He, like, it's all these words that, that have nothing to do with the idea of a God that is willing to, to bless his kids with a day, to just stop and rest and delight. There's, we don't think about our God in that way. And when we Sabbath, we tell the world around us, man, I, I serve a God that actually cares deeply about my soul. I care about a God who cares deeply about my soul rest and my enjoyment of life. And we know this because of the Sabbath, but we also know this because of the cross. Right? You see, because the Exodus was a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to come and do on the cross. When God freed the people of Israel from slavery to Egypt, that was a foreshadowing of Christ coming and laying down his life. And through laying down his life for us, he freed us from the oppression and the tyranny of sin and death. And so now what happens is we get to approach God with boldness and confidence and joy, and we don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to earn our way to God. We don't have to earn God's favor. We don't have to work so God likes us. We get to simply rest in the finished work of Jesus. There's a Sabbath rest that takes place when we think about the gospel because we realize I don't have to work to make God like me. The work's already been done, and so now I get to simply approach God with boldness, with confidence, with joy as a son, as a daughter, and I just get to rest in his presence. And Sabbath points us to the gospel. It's a countercultural statement that points us to the gospel, that points to a God who cares deeply about the well-being and the souls and the refreshment of his kids. And so my hope is that we can be people that are countercultural in the way that we Sabbath because we know that it tells our culture that we're not slaves, but it also tells our culture that we serve a God who is gracious and loving and kind and worthy of our praise, worthy of our devotion. Now, let me close with this. Let me close with a few practical things. Um, it's not lost on me that when we actually try to implement Sabbath, it's tough. Because, again, like we're, we're living in a world that's, I mean, it's just always on, right? Like we're just always doing stuff. There's so many things that are just kind of competing for our attention. And so to actually get into a rhythm where Sabbath is like just a thing that we do 
there's just a spiritual discipline that is just a part of our lives. It takes a little, a little bit of time to kind of get in that, in that rhythm. So um, let me close with just two very practical applications. And the first is this. I want to challenge you to learn to say no without feeling guilty. To learn to say no without feeling guilty. We live in a culture where we feel a pressure to say yes to everything. And the reality is you can't say yes to everything. And you shouldn't say yes to everything. Right? Like we have limits. We are finite. Right? And so we cannot say yes to everything. And I think one of the hard parts for us as, uh, as a believers is that we have this call on our life to love our neighbor as ourselves, And so oftentimes we kind of come to this weird philosophical idea that to love someone is to say yes to them all the time. And we believe that, man, if I'm going to love a person, then, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say yes to their thing, and then I want to love this person over here, so I'm going to say yes to their thing. And before we know, we just say yes to everything, and then we're exhausted and we're tired, and we feel guilty for saying no. What the Sabbath does is it provides a day to say no. And it has nothing to do with your love for that person, and it has everything to do with God saying, I care deeply about your soul, and I want you to stop. Just take a day. You have six other days to say yes to stuff. Just take a day and say no. And if that just kind of makes you cringe, man, I, I think this is a really good exercise. Right? To just learn how to say no to things for the sake of your own soul and your own refreshment. Learn how to say no without feeling guilty. But I also want to cha- challenge you with this. Learn how to say yes without feeling guilty. Learn how to say yes. For some of us, the problem is that we don't know how to say no. For others of us, we don't know how to say yes. Specifically, we don't know how to say yes to things that feel self-indulgent, right? Part of the way that God has created Sabbath to work, as, as we saw in week, week one, is that God has created Sabbath to be a day that, that we stop, but also a day that we delight, a day that we delight in the work of God's creation, that we delight in the, or in the, in the, in the work of God's hands, that we delight in his creation, right? And so oftentimes the idea of saying yes to something purely for our own joy, purely for our own delight, kind of feels cringy, right? Like it kind of feels like, ah, is that, is that self-indulgent? Is that selfish? Like, like I don't know if Christians should say yes to things solely for our own pleasure and joy. And what the Sabbath does is it gives you an opportunity to say yes to things that just bring you joy without guilt. But you just get to say, what can I delight in today? That's what I'm going to do. So uh, a, a Sabbath staple in the story household has become zucchini bread because I am a big carb guy. And I love, I love bread. I love pastries. And a few weeks ago, I woke up on our Sabbath, and I thought, I legitimately asked, what sounds delightful? Like, what sounds delightful right now? I thought a fat piece of bread, just like a really good piece of bread, like some butter or almond butter if I'm feeling healthy. Um, like, what, like, what can, like, yeah, I just want bread. But I didn't want to go buy bread. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to make bread. That sounds awesome. I'm going to make bread. So I found this dope zucchini bread recipe. It's gluten-free, too. So, if, like, if you're like, uh, I'm out. No, you're not. It's amazing. And so... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I sat, and, I'm, and I baked bread, and I'm, I made it. I never baked bread before, and it was awesome. And, and I thought, that, that was fun. I, I liked that. That was, that was weirdly nourishing to my soul. And so the next week, I was like, you know what? 
I'm gonna, like, this is gonna be part of how I Sabbath. And so every Sabbath morning for me, what I do is I get up, I walk into the kitchen, and I say, Alexa, play my kitchen jams. <laughs> and Alexa plays the, the most bumping playlist, and, we di- and we're just goofy, and we just dance around the ki- kitchen, and we make zucchini bread. And then I stick it in the oven, and then I go read a book by the fire while the Lord graciously allows the sweet smell of zucchini bread to fill the living room. Doesn't that sound like heaven? Right? Like, that sounds amazing, right? And I say yes to that because that's what Sabbath is about. That we serve a God who says, hey, say yes to whatever brings you delight. Say yes to whatever is worshipful for you. And, and, and maybe that's not, not your thing. In fact, if you're like a baker, that probably sounds awful, right? Like, you, you don't want to bake on your Sabbath, right? So, so find what just sounds delightful. For us, we'll, we'll eat zucchini bread, and then we might go for a long walk. We might get dinner with friends. We, we do, we view that day through what is restful and what is worshipful. And that's the lens that you look through, or that's the lens that you look through when you Sabbath, is you think, man, what, 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 what can I say no to? But also, what can I say yes to? What can I say yes to that allows me to stop and delight in God's creation and commune with him? The reality is that, man, Sabbath is designed to be this practice that leaves us refreshed, that it is the day that we look forward to all week. It's the day that energizes us from Monday through Wednesday, it's the day that from Thursday to Friday and Saturday we just look forward to. It's this day that allows us to just stop and rest and commune with God. My hope is that we are a people that don't Sabbath because it's what we do. That we, we don't Sabbath because it's a good spiritual discipline. We don't Sabbath because it's the, the good, right Christian thing to do and it says so in the Bible. But that we Sabbath because we understand that we have a God that cares deeply about your soul. God, that longs for you to experience rest and rejuvenation, that he has graciously given you that in the Sabbath, and that we respond with obedience because we want to stop and delight and commune with him. Let me pray. Father, my, uh, my hope tonight um, is that we are a people that begin to reshape, maybe for the first time, the way that we see you. That you are a God who is so for our joy. So for our joy, and that you created rhythms into creation that allow us to, to stop and rest, be, be refreshed, God, and so Father, my hope is that even tonight we, we get to just experience just a, a, a glimpse of that. Even for the next 20 or 30 minutes, God, we can just stop. And all the things that are stressing us out outside this room, we just leave those outside for a second. We just stand before you. And we delight in you. We commune with you. God, and that you refresh our souls as we gaze upon the beauty of what you've done for us. As our hearts are reminded of the grace that you have shown to us on the cross. 
that as we're reminded that we have been set free from slavery to sin, we have been set free from the oppression of sin, that we get to approach you with boldness and with confidence, God, that that just stirs our hearts in refreshing ways, God. God, will you do a work in this room tonight? May this be the beginning of some very needed rest, God. We love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.